Hear the word of God from the book of Matthew 25, located on pages 806 to 807 in the Pew Bible. Then the kingdom will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids all came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Over these next three Sundays, we will be following the lectionary gospel readings for each week, which are all centered uh, in Matthew 25, three parables of Jesus. And so today we come to explore the first of those that Sarah has just read for us this intriguing and perplexing story of the the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Will you please bow your heads in a moment of prayer with me? The the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Will you please bow your heads? And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. O Lord, our rock and our waiting can be very hard. Especially in this crazy, non-stop, 24-7 world of ours. The World Wide Web never sleeps. Offering immediate access to information about anything all the time. We call this progress, but I wonder about that. I mean, when Google turned 13 a few years ago, we suddenly had a teenager that really did know everything. That can't be a good idea. That really did know everything. The ease of email and texting and instant messaging means that we expect a response to our communication pretty much straight away. 
while social media makes it possible for our thoughts, moods, videos and images to be shared instantly with others anywhere around the world. By the way, do you, did you hear about the plans for YouTube, Twitter and Facebook to combine? into one mega social media platform. It will be called you Twit Which is kind of apt. If you think about what the sensational need for instant connection and gratification is doing as the British rock group Queen used to sing, I want it all. And I want it as now. the British rock group used to sing. Within I'll this world, waiting can be very hard. And if we're honest, we'd admit that few of us are particularly good at it. Even the slightest delay can be a source of real frustration. Do you ever find yourself sitting at a red traffic light and feeling like it's taking forever for the signal to change when it's actually about? Then feeling like it's taking forever. Or what about at the grocery store? When it comes to picking a checkout queue at the tilts, at that point your entire world becomes focused in a single goal to find the quickest queue to get out of there as soon as possible. You know the routine. And so you start surveying all the queues to work out which one will be shortest based upon what's in people's trolleys. But you can't be too obvious about it because that will get awkward. And if you're caught staring, then you've got to pretend that you're actually looking at the batteries on the shelf next to the trolley and then you end up buying more batteries. All the while you're keeping an eye on the other two shoppers that are ready to check out and are going through the same routine themselves, checking out which is going to be the quickest queue. And so you make your choice and you get into a queue. And then what happens? Which is going to be the quickest queue? And so you make the queue next to you, that's right, starts moving faster. Now you're faced with a real dilemma. Do I stay? That's right. Or do I move? Now you're faced with a real dilemma. You know what I'm talking about. Is it just me? Or do I move? If you stay, the queue next to you will continue to move at an astonishing rate. People flying out of the grocery store. But if you move, if you move, of this you can be absolutely assured. Something will happen that will bring your new queue to a grinding halt. The supervisor will be called to clear some faulty transaction or the scanner will stop working or the roll of till paper needs to be replaced or the little old lady in front of you, bless her heart, is paying for all her groceries with coupons and quarters and single dollar bills. I call it the law of supermarket queues, which states, 
that the ratio of the rate of progress of your queue to the average rate of progress of all the other queues is inversely proportional to the amount of time you have available divided by the number of items in your trolley unless you change queues, in which case the ratio becomes directly proportional to your emotional pain threshold. <laughs> But of course you knew that all already, didn't you? <laughs> we can chuckle but of course you knew about that the frustration already, of waiting in a supermarket queue. We can chuckle but in other far more significant and substantial in ways, waiting really can be in other very far hard. More significant and, substantial and many people are all too familiar with the struggle of it. Think about the young woman or man who has been waiting to meet that someone special, who's ready to get married and settle down, but it just hasn't happened yet. And so sometimes late at night, lying alone on the bed, staring up at the ceiling, the despairing thought goes through his or her mind whether it's ever going to happen. Think about the couple who have been trying to fall pregnant for so long. And with every month that goes by, the waiting seems to wound them afresh. Think about a parent who is waiting for a wayward child to return so that forgiveness and reconciliation can be shared. Or a loved one who is waiting for a medical condition to improve. Or someone in grief who is waiting for the pain of their loss to shift to something more bearable. Think about the man without work who's waiting for someone to give him a second chance or a prisoner who's waiting for a parole board to extend some leniency or an immigrant who's waiting for a stamped letter or a marginalized community waiting for the basic services long promised by their local councillor. For each of these, that which is longed for and hoped for seems desperately delayed so that their waiting is fraught with anxiety and even despair. The Bible seems to be quite familiar with this kind of waiting. How long, O Lord, is a cry that echoes again and again through the Psalms and other sections of Scripture. Consider the psalmist who shouts out in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Or the prophet Habakkuk, who begins his prophecy with the words, How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? It's a robust question, full of anguish and pathos that is directed unapologetically at God. I'm so glad that our biblical faith makes space for the outpouring of this kind of raw, full-throated questioning. And if you're in a place of waiting, 
right now that feels too long and too hard, I'm sure that you are glad too. Of course, the Bible also has many stories of waiting that's finally vindicated. Remember Hannah, who was barren for so long, but then gave birth to a son, Samuel. Remember Simeon, who had waited all his life to see God's promised Messiah, and then in his old age, he saw the baby Jesus in the temple, and so he joyfully proclaimed, Now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember the waiting father in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son who saw his younger son returning while he was still a far way off and joyfully ran to greet him and then continued to wait and joyfully for his older son to do likewise. Which brings us to another parable that Jesus told about waiting. Which brings us it's our gospel reading for today, which is known as the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Bridesmaids who found themselves waiting for a long, long time for a bridegroom to arrive. As I've been living with this text this week, I must confess, that I've struggled to get As a handle I've been living on it. with this text this week, but it's I mostly eluded me. That I've struggled to get a, a bit like the bridesmaids, I suppose. I've been waiting for the bridegroom to appear. A bit like the bridesmaids. I've been waiting for that moment of truth, of insight, of recognition to arrive, for the cry to sound within the preacher in me. Look, here it is. For the cry to sound within the preacher in me. Just like in the parable, it seems like the bridegroom has been delayed. And now I'm preaching this sermon. Pretty much because I have to. I don't really have a choice. And I'm still not sure whether the bridegroom, bridegroom has in fact come. I'm still not sure whether my waiting with this parable this week has been in vain. I guess that makes me a bit like the five foolish bridesmaids who missed the arrival of the bridegroom. except there's more to the story. Because as I've waited and waited with this text this week, with all the anxiety of nothing forthcoming for me to grab hold of, to be able to preach, so there's also been a growing recognition within me that that's okay. That I do not know and cannot control when the bridegroom will come. And I've made peace with that. And I think that that part of me has been a bit like the five wise bridesmaids who also fell asleep because the waiting was long and hard. And yet, there was something that they had. The parable calls it flasks of oil that recognized 
that the bridegroom may well be delayed. In the end, that's the distinction between those two groups of bridesmaids, and it's the distinction between those two parts within each of us that influence the way in which we embrace the hard work of waiting. The five wise bridesmaids anticipated that the bridegroom may well be delayed. The five foolish bridesmaids did not. In other words, in the long nights of watching and waiting for the deep longings of our hearts, the capacity to recognize that God will come in a way and at a time that we cannot predict or control, that capacity will better enable us to recognize the grace of God drawing near when it does. By contrast, that part of us that needs to be in control, that tries to set the agenda, the time frame, and the details of exactly when God should show up and how God should do so and exactly what all God should do. Well, according to the parable, that's foolishness. And the tragedy is that it can prevent us from experiencing the great feast of God's grace that surely, surely, surely is coming and is already at hand. Some of you may remember the 1981 movie on Golden Pond. The movie centered on an aging couple, Norman and Ethel Thayer, played in the movie by Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn, who both won Academy Awards for their role. This elderly couple, Norman and Ethel, spent every summer at their cottage at a lake called Golden Pond. Norman was a cranky, crotchety old curmudgeon, preoccupied with the fear of dying, bitter and cynical as a, as a result, as he waited for the inevitable to arrive. His hardened heart was painfully evident in the strained relationship with his daughter and only child, whom he treated with rudeness and disrespect when she and her fiancé visited on the occasion of his 80th birthday. But then the fiancé's son, a 13-year-old boy by the name of Billy, spent some time at the cottage, and an unlikely friendship between, developed between him and Norman. They would go out fishing on the lake together in search of a massive trout that Norman had always dreamed of catching but now feared he would never be able to do. Little by little, the oil of this friendship softened the hardness of Norman's heart. He became less preoccupied with his approaching death and all the regrets of his life and found himself open to embracing the unexpected gifts and graces of each new day. And sure enough, grace was at work 
in him. He and Billy caught and released the elusive chart, and then a beautiful reconciliation with his daughter ensued. The surprising twist at the end of the movie is that Norman's anticipated death that had been hinted at throughout the movie doesn't actually happen. That remains an open question as to exactly when that will occur. Instead, the golden leaves of the fall trees and the golden sunlight shimmering on golden pond suggest the anointing oil of surrender that had fallen on his life and had rekindled hope within him. His anxious waiting had been redeemed in a beautiful way through his openness to the surprising and unexpected gifts of grace that had miraculously drawn near. So friends, what are you waiting for? A partner? A pregnancy? A child? A reunion? A fresh start? Waiting can be very hard. Especially when what you're waiting for seems desperately delayed. Maybe the anguished cry of your heart is, How long, O Lord? Maybe your waiting has become fraught with anxiety and even despair. Hear the good news. There's another part of you that is able to wait in a more trusting way. It's that part of you that has been anointed with the oil of surrender, the oil of acceptance, the oil of glad anticipation of whatever it is that God has in store. This is the oil that keeps the lamps of hope ablaze. And though the night of waiting may be long, the promise is sure that there will come a joyful cry, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And with the lamp of hope ablaze, you will go in to share in the wedding banquet of God. Amen. Let's be quiet for just a few moments. Amen. We're going to respond to God's words, and this is what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to invite the ushers to wait upon us for our offerings for the work of God. And then the team is going to be leading us in the singing of two songs. And while they are singing those songs, I'd like to invite you, if it would be helpful for you, 
to come forward and to receive the anointing of oil as a sign of the hope of God arising within you afresh. Particularly if you are finding yourself waiting and the night of waiting seems long and hard. There will be three of us at the front as well as a pastor up in the gallery. And so you're simply invited to come forward and to receive the oil of anointing as a sign of that hope being kindled in you afresh. And then you're invited to spend a moment kneeling at the rail or ask simply to return to your seats. And so that invitation is extended to any for whom that would be helpful. And so the stewards will now wait upon us for our offerings for the work of God as Sherlin and the team lead us in song. Thank you so much. Thank you.